Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name is Arthur and I'm a Californian. I used to work as a ranger at Sequoia National Park from 1994 to 1997. Before I start, I just want to say that I'm crying as I write this because the memories are extremely traumatic. It happened in 1997 in my last year working as a ranger. It was also this event that got me fired. I was patrolling an area that was not very frequented by visitors because of the density of the bushes and because it was an easy area to get lost. I had received a report of loud sounds coming from there, sounds that were scaring the visitors making them think there was a bear on the loose or something. It was noon and I was driving around the area with a jeep and a tranquilizer rifle just in case something was really there. I spent one hour driving around and I stopped the jeep, exited it, and was standing by the open door. I was about to pick up my walkie-talkie and report the situation to one of the other rangers that were patrolling the other side when I heard something on my left, a loud growl. I looked and there was a big reddish-brown thing with wide shoulders, long arms and huge human hands looking at me. 
This part really breaks me every time I remember it because I got paralyzed in fear at the moment because this thing was bigger than any grizzly bear and was glaring at me with a face that I can only describe as a hungry predator. I felt like an ambushed prey. I stood there and this thing charged at me with full force and I entered the jeep almost instantly. The creature crashed into the jeep breaking the door's window and the thing grunted in pain. I turned the jeep on and accelerated beyond the speed limit of the park. I looked behind for a second and this monster was running after the jeep on all fours, just like a chimp. I panicked even more and I increased the speed and some curves later I finally lost him. I arrived at the ranger station and there was nobody there. I remember being so panicked that I locked myself inside a bathroom and I'm certain that I fainted because I remember that everything went black. When I woke up, it was 9 p.m. and the other rangers were looking for me. My boss confronted me about the jeep having one of the sides damaged with the broken window, and when I told him that a big animal attacked me, he got angry at me, called me a liar who sleeps on the job, and accused me of crashing the jeep on a tree and making stories up to not to get in trouble and fired me. I did years and years of therapy and it didn't work. The memories still haunt me and I still have nightmares and sudden panic attacks. I know the thing that tried to snatch me was a Bigfoot and not a bear. Bears don't have human faces, human hands and wide shoulders, and they don't have freakishly long limbs. I lived with these memories for more than 20 years, and this is my first time telling this story ever since. Thank you for reading this. It was the beginning of archery hunting season for elk, four years ago in August. My friend Richard and I, accompanied by our buddy John, embarked on an adventure to Black Bear Swamp. Little did we know that this outing would unveil a sight that would haunt our memories for years to come. As the sun began its descent, casting a golden glow upon the landscape, we found ourselves near a road at around 7 p.m. It was then that our eyes caught something peculiar. A creature stood perched upon a hill, its figure shrouded in shadows. Its hue appeared to be a murky brown, blending seamlessly with the surroundings. The sheer magnitude of this being left us in awe a towering presence that seemed to reach heights of approximately 12 feet. The image of that encounter still lingers vividly in my mind as I recall the conversation I had with Richard over the phone on August 18th. He described the creature the words tumbling out in a mix of fascination and trepidation. The mere thought of it sent a shiver down my spine, a reminder of the enigmatic encounter we had experienced together. To this day, the details remain etched in our memories, serving as a constant reminder of the mysteries that lie within the depths of the world we inhabit. The shadowy figure, the towering height, and the haunting presence of that creature on the hill continue to fuel our curiosity leaving us yearning for answers that may forever elude us. Four years have passed since that fateful day, and yet the impact of that sighting has not diminished. It serves as a testament to the hidden wonders that exist in the realms beyond our comprehension. Our encounter with the mysterious creature at Black Bear Swamp is a chapter of our lives that will forever intrigue and haunt us, a fragment of the unknown that forever remains embedded in our shared experiences. Marie in Minneapolis made two separate phone calls, 
first to coast to coast, and then to Darkness Radio looking for answers regarding something that happened to her the night after Halloween 2014 while doing her paper route. The event clearly disturbed her, and she couldn't explain it, nor could any of the hosts or guests of the various radio shows. This happened the night after Halloween. I deliver newspapers at night, and I was delivering newspapers that night, and it was business as usual. I rounded this curve, and I saw a group of kids in the middle of the road. There were about six of them, and they were all wearing gray robes with hoods. They didn't have the hoods on, they were down their backs. I thought that was kind of strange because Halloween had ended about ten hours before that. One of them saw me and started walking very quickly towards my car saying something. She got very close to my car and I could see that she was about 15 years old and my first thought was, why was she out there? That's pretty young to be out there at that time of night. It was about 4.30 in the morning. I didn't have time to talk to her so I drove around her. But then there were the other five kids in the middle of the road and then they saw me and they fanned out to surround my car so I couldn't move and that scared me. I drove up on the lawn to get around them but they were coming pretty quickly at my car, and I almost hit one of them, and then I thought, I'm gonna call the police because this is quite odd. Then I thought, I better follow them so I could tell the police what they're doing. I saw them turn down this street, and I turned to follow them, and it took about 10 seconds to get to this street, and they were gone. They had disappeared, and there's no way they could have gone to even the first house. I've been sailing all my life and have somewhere around 6,000 sea miles as well as years and years of inland dinghy racing experience. The sea just does strange things sometimes. Wind against tide and underwater obstacles causing weird currents create unnatural waves, and it starts to feel like the sea is just throwing water at you at random. Fog at sea at night really mess up your senses too. Everything is quiet, and you can't see anything but the boat immediately around you. You keep looking for lights on other ships and listening for foghorns or the sound of engines in the distance, and your brain starts playing all manner of tricks on you. In a busy shipping lane, it's a serious business, and in a very real way it could be life or death if you miss a ship that hits you and sinks you. You start to see lights everywhere around you. You start hearing engines creeping up on you. You stop your boat and cut the engine to see if you're hearing anything real, and you enter an even stranger world of sensory deprivation. It's eerie as hell. Second edit to add this one I've just remembered. A full solar eclipse. We saw one in the middle of the English Channel, and it was the strangest thing. There was thin cloud, but the sun was visible through it. We were within the total eclipse zone and could see the shadow coming from miles away. It looked like the biggest, most angry storm I've ever seen. Generally, the darker the clouds, the more it's going to hurt. This was a darkness as dark as is possible at sea during the day. Talked to my dad about it afterwards, and we both felt a real uneasiness getting worse and worse the nearer it got. Our bodies and subconscious were readying us for dealing with a really shitty, dangerous situation. It was just like how people sometimes describe sending a ghost. A cold chill and feeling really on edge. It really was like a ghost storm. A lot of sailing becomes instinctual after a while, and you get a feeling about what's coming from watching the clouds and waves off on the horizon. 
The eclipse gave off every sign of absolute nastiness, but passed without any real-world effect other than darkness. Really creepy. One time we were camping and were talking with one of the locals we came across that lived in the mountains Appalachian Mountains. He eventually talks us into going down a back gravel road to show us some more of the land. He drives us down this back gravel road and eventually turns off onto a small hill and goes back through a path into a small corner in the woods. There is a group of people in old vans with doors open, propane tanks, and other random non-camping equipment. He cuts the engine and a big dude with a scraggly beard starts slowly walking up to us. At this point we immediately knew they were cooking and gave each other the we need to get the f out of here look. The bearded man starts talking to our driver and arguing about money a bit and then ends the convo. Driver starts up the truck, turns around and we leave. I felt like I was in the hills have eyes or deliverance. Kinda different story but nonetheless creepy and thought we were going to die. I walked into a pot growing operation outside Santa Cruz, California. Took a minute to figure out why there was black tubing running everywhere. Got the F out of there in a hurry. Also had a close encounter with a bear in Colorado. I was visiting and not used to the elevation. If I had had to run, I would have been the easiest meal that bear ever had. I also stumbled into an abandoned homeless camp in a pretty suburban part of Virginia. Except that it wasn't abandoned after all. Saw seven or eight guys standing back in the woods staring at me. Backed up the way I came in. None of them ever moved. No one said a word. Weird thing is that they were all dressed exactly alike. Brown jackets, green pants. Now for the final story. There's one encounter that really stands out though. I was day hiking the ridges above Raton, New Mexico. I'd been out quite a while when I came across a well-picked over deer carcass. There weren't any fresh tracks around it, but that's a real clear indication that I'm on some large predator's home turf. Time to go. As I'm climbing down off the ridge, not the way I came up, I see a flat area with an odd round stone formation. Think Stonehenge, but the rocks aren't squared off. Each of rocks are all taller than I am and formed a darn near perfect circle. I'm a little creeped out, but I step in for a closer look. The second I crossed through the rocks, it was like an electric shock. Immediate goosebumps, the hair on my neck is standing up, and every nerve in my body is screaming at me to be somewhere else right now. I scrambled down the rest of that ridge way out of control. I was lucky not to hurt myself cause at some points I was just jumping without looking where I was going to put my feet. I did not look back once. 20 years on, I still cannot explain my reaction. I'm not given to extreme flights of fancy. I'm not afraid of things that go bump in the night. I'm not a religious person and I don't believe in evil with a capital E. But I did that day. Something horrific happened there once, and it will happen again. This occurred around 1999-2000. My best friend and I were avid outdoor adventurers and amateur pot growers. We would frequently find secluded places in the woods that allowed for ample light and shade for plants to grow, and that would not allow them to be easily found.
One particular day, we went to an annex of trails located near NJ State Park Trail System. The trails weren't in the park, but I had hiked them before and knew they weren't that frequented. We had gone out that day with our seeds partially sprouted in moist paper towels. We parked the car at the trailhead and started hiking in. We covered a mile or so and then ventured off the trail and into the woods. We found a clearing, planted the seeds, and tied a few barely visible ribbons off to mark the way to the plant spot to check them in the future. My friend and I got back on the trail and started walking back to, to the car when my friend noticed a man in the other direction just staring at us. He was probably in his 30s or 40s, bald head, normal clothes. We didn't think anything of it for the most part, but we definitely kept looking back as anyone would when someone is behind them in the woods. We saw that he was walking 60 plus or so feet behind us. It seemed weird, but it was probably more so due to us having anxiety that we planted seeds. We picked up the pace, but the man also seemed to pick up the pace as we weren't gaining any distance. At one point we decided to just get off the trail and let him pass. We turned off the trail and walked into a thicket of sticker bushes, which I remember vividly getting shredded on. We got deeper into the woods and heard cursing. When we turned around the man was coming through where we entered. It was at that moment we actually became scared. Mind you were two young, strong 19-year-olds, but a man following you into the woods is damn creepy. We made kind of a U-maneuver to outflank him and came out of the woods a bit further down trail. Once on the trail we ran. As we were running, there was a fork in the trail and my friend went right and I left. I realized my mistake as my buddy was going down the correct path and I wasn't, so I turned around and started running back towards the fork to follow my friend. As I was running towards the direction we came from to get to the fork, I could see the man running towards me down the trail. He was a distance away, but not far enough in my eyes. Survival mode kicked in and I ran as hard as I could. I caught up to my friend who was waking at that point. I screamed he's after us and we both booked it to all the way to the car. We got in the car shaking and out of breath. We backed up and started to get out of the parking lot when the man appeared at the trailhead. He stopped there and just stared at us as we drove away. I always wonder what that was all about. Did he want to kill a couple of 19-year-olds? Was he also doing something illegal in those woods and wanted us gone? My buddy and I still laugh and talk about that day 22 years ago. When I was 12, I spent an entire summer in my grandparents' village. The village is small, and we all know each other, but it's quite rural and surrounded by hills and woods. At that time, my occupation was collecting herbs and all kind of insects, so I went on a little adventure with my dog. I packed water, snacks, and went into the woods. I had a great time for quite a few hours. I found so many interesting bugs and plants, but suddenly I heard some commotion. It felt strange, but being a dumb and naive kid, I thought nothing of it and kept going, but my dog Caucasian Shepherd started growling and barking. At first I thought that she barked at some animal, but there was nothing there. I called her a couple of times, but she just kept growling, and that's when I saw a man standing between two trees. That man wasn't from the village, and he looked so strange he was skinny. He had something red, I assume blood on his shirt. His eyes were open wide, 
and he just stared at me. I froze in fear, couldn't move or run. I just stood there unable to do anything, my dog still barking and growling. Everything changed when man smiled. I never felt that uneasiness ever in my life. His teeth were rotten, some of them missing. It was so scary seeing him smiling. It wasn't a ghost or vampire, but still he looked hella creepy. I called my dog, she whined, and suddenly we were running, trying to get the hell away from that woods and that man. When we came home, I couldn't stop shaking, and after that I never went out there again. This was a really long time ago, but I always feel uneasy and scared when where I remember this. I'm so glad I found this subreddit because I love remembering this story. It's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Also, I'm not great with words or typing things out, so sorry about that. This was in ninth grade. There was this huge state park right outside of the town I lived in. My friend and I would go down the trails every now and then. We had been walking for maybe 10 minutes when we realized there was an older woman not far behind us. I only really noticed because of how out of place she looked. Like she came straight out of an old folks home and was just dropped in the woods. We were joking around about how creepy she was and sped up to put some distance between us. But every time we did, we'd look back and still be able to spot her. We did that probably three times. We still thought it was funny though. We ended up running down the trail until we got to a small bridge. We hopped off the bridge into a creek and then went around a bend. We could still see the bridge from where we were. We were cracking up about the whole thing when we saw the old lady again. We had run for a good couple of minutes, like she shouldn't have caught up that fast. And it was like she knew we got off the trail because she was just standing on the bridge looking around. I think that's when we stopped thinking it was funny. As soon as she left, we took off running the other way. That was it though. Nothing happened. I just always thought the whole thing was creepy. A military man, John, went outside to have a smoke. He lives in the hills surrounding Deadwood, South Dakota. He spotted two kids walking up a hill. They stopped and looked at John, which spooked him. They were wearing hoodies and looked very strange. Their eyes were completely black. They started to come across the street walking directly towards John, who introduced himself to them. They continued to advance towards him. Frightened, he retreated into the house. Inside, he asked his wife if she heard him talking to the kids. She never heard anything. They soon went to bed. John then noticed one of the boys outside his window. He rushed to bolt the front door, as one of them was there too. He never made it to the door. For whatever reason, he turned around and went back to the bedroom, where he saw the boy standing outside his window. He went to grab his pistol. He wanted to scare them off. He assumed they were wearing masks. One was at the window and another was at the door. He was extremely scared now. The next thing he remembered was waking up in bed. His wife informed him that he had been gone for an hour and a half. I did hear the door open and close. You weren't there, she told him. John had left the house at 4 a.m. and didn't return home until 5.30 a.m.
A friend of mine known as Damo was an avid fisherman, and he and his dad used to go out sea fishing whenever they could. A few years ago, he told me this story, and it creeped the hell of me, so this seems like an appropriate place to tell it. Dalmo and his dad were on the second night of a trip deep sea fishing, and they decided to get some sleep in the early evening so they could go for whatever fish they were after at around 1 a.m., the best time to get this fish, apparently. Anyway, they only had a small-ish boat, but the weather was extremely pleasant, and the sea was calm to the point of stillness, so they figured it would be a great night's fishing for them. Around 12.30 a.m., they started to set their gear up, and as they were on the starboard side getting bait ready, they heard a loud splash on the port side. As there was almost no swell, they figured it was either a large fish or some gear had somehow fallen in, so they went over to have a look. Floating face up in the water, only a few feet from the side of the boat, was a young woman. They reckoned she couldn't have been more than about 30 at the most. She showed absolutely no signs of decomposition bloating, and there was nothing tangled in her hair, all of which would normally suggest she had been in the water for some time. She was wearing a simple white skirt and a blue-colored strappy top, both of which were clean and apparently looked barely wet again, all indicating she had only just gone in the water. She showed no signs of damage like having been beaten or attacked and her eyes and mouth were shut. Damo said she looked totally peaceful and like she was simply asleep and just floating on her back in the water. They were both totally freaked out by the whole thing but reacting more to the need to make sure she was okay instead of just standing there trying to work out where she came from they tried to wake her up shouting to her etc. and they threw a line to her hoping they may catch her enough to pull he back in. She showed no signs of movement and the splashing around they were making with the rope served only to let her body drift further away from the boat. When she was a few meters away, Damo ran off to grab a fishing rod hoping they could pull her in that way, and his dad ran to the cabin to try and call a coast guard for help. When Damo got back to the side, she had vanished. He frantically searched around and splashed into the water with the rod, thinking she had bobbed underwater or even drifted under the boat somehow, but the body had vanished. Eventually, his dad, figuring they couldn't just leave a potential dead or unconscious body floating in the water, jumped in and swam over to where she had last been, hoping he may find her under the surface, but they couldn't find anything. They did eventually drive the boat around in a good half-kilometer circle, but they never saw the body again. The Coast Guard did come out, and obviously Donlo and his dad were kind of interrogated to make sure they hadn't... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Murder dumped the body, but nothing came of it all. The freakiest thing about it all was that the boat was thoroughly checked before they had set out fishing the day before so they could say with certainty that there had been no woman on board when they set off either a dead body or a stowaway homeless woman. The apparently fresh state of the body kind of removed the possibility that she had been in the water a while 
and that they just found the body and they were far enough out from land and nowhere near any other boats that her appearance there was just totally unexplainable, as was the way the body just disappeared. Damo and his dad hadn't been gone more than 20 seconds from the side of the boat, but in that time the body just vanished. They were both really shaken by the whole thing and were most terrified by the fact that her appearance was preceded by the heavy splash in the water, to them suggesting the body had only just entered the water from their own boat. They tell the story now as a kind of, you won't believe what happened to us once type thing, but it shook them badly and neither has been back to the same fishing spot since. Sorry it's a long one, but it's so creepy it felt like it deserved to be explained fully. My sons, then about seven and five, and I had planned to fish the Brightonbush River near the 46 and 85 bridge as we'd camped in the area before, and they were familiar with it. We turned off FR 46 onto 4685 South, crossed the bridge, pulled over and parked. 4685 continues on a short way, then begins to climb. There's a dirt road that leads right west that parallels the river immediately past where we parked. I was giving the okay, here's how we're going to do this. Speech when a movement a little farther up the road, 100 feet or so, caught my attention. When I looked I saw a figure I entirely thought to be a person walking across the road from left to right, but quickly realized this was out of the ordinary. The figure was approximately 8 feet tall, maybe a few inches more, covered with reddish-brown hair all over its body. I distinctly remember seeing muscle movement as it moved and thinking, man, that thing must be strong. I also remember its arms swinging as it walked, and being too long for a human being's because its hands came down to its lower thigh level. It only had to take four or five steps to cross the road, then step down over the edge of the road into the brush. It turned and looked at us briefly as it walked. I can't honestly say I got a good look at its facial features, but I did notice that the hair color on the head and the side of the face matched the color of the body hair. When I looked at my boys, my older son was staring where I had been my younger son didn't see it. After the shock of did we just see a Bigfoot, past I walked up to where the figure had walked across the road and tried to duplicate its stride. I'm five feet nine and it took me several steps to cross the road. I went into the brush where I saw it enter and found a foot-shaped impression in some moss-covered ground that dwarfed my boot. That was enough. We decided not to do any fishing. On the way home, we stopped at the ranger station and asked if they had heard any reports of Bigfoot and learned real quickly why most people don't report their sightings. I was 17 and laying in my driveway smoking a cigarette. I was mad about something and I said to myself, I'm so pissed off right now if an alien ship flew above me I would tell them to F off. Typical teenager shit. At the exact moment I thought that I heard the sound of a foot scraping across the ground. I looked down since I was laying down and saw a man with white hair and a backpack walking down my street about 20 feet from me. I lived on a cul-de-sac and this man was not one of my neighbors. He was walking from the opening of my street toward the dead end. I watched him walk by and he got behind my car and I watched his feet go past my tire. I kept watching to see him walk out the other side, 
And I waited. And I waited. I never saw his feet walk past my tire. So at that moment I thought he was standing at the back of my car, so I get up to confront him. Except he's gone. Poof. No man on the road. No doors opened or closed on my street, and my neighborhood was cut out of a large hill, so there was no outlet except for the end of the road. But that's where he was walking from. It scared the ever-living shit out of me. I put my cigarette out and went back inside and locked the door. I have only told a few people about this. Edit. This was at about 11 p.m. Very quiet on my block and no one outside. Though I was in a neighborhood, it felt secluded and alone. Four and a half to five years ago, I found myself in the depths of Black Bear Swamp, a remote and secluded area known for its dense vegetation and elusive wildlife. It was a place where nature reigned supreme, and the boundaries between reality and the extraordinary often blurred. That day, I was accompanied by my girlfriend Sarah as we embarked on a leisurely hike through the swamp. The air was thick with humidity, and the sounds of chirping birds and rustling leaves filled the atmosphere. We reveled in the tranquility of the untouched wilderness, blissfully unaware of the astonishing events that were about to unfold. As we made our way through the thick undergrowth, a sudden thud resonated through the air, followed by a loud crack against the trunk of a towering pine tree. Startled, Sarah turned towards me, her eyes wide with alarm. Did you throw that rock at me? She accused, her voice trembling with a mix of confusion and anger. Taken aback by her accusation, I quickly denied any involvement. My mind raced, trying to comprehend what had just happened. It was impossible for me to have thrown a rock with such force and accuracy. Something else was at play. Our attention was abruptly diverted as movement caught our peripheral vision. Peering through the dense brush, we glimpsed a figure, large and hulking, swiftly making its way through the undergrowth. At first, we mistook it for a deer, but as it emerged into a clearing, the truth became undeniable. Before us stood a creature that defied explanation of Bigfoot. Its massive frame towered over the surrounding foliage, and its dark, shaggy fur blended seamlessly with the shadows. The creature moved with a grace and agility that belied its immense size. It cast a glance in our direction, its piercing eyes seeming to hold a hint of intelligence and curiosity. He just stared at us for a minute, and the disappeared into wilderness. True story. My fiancé has a really good one from when he was at West Point, the military academy. So there's a lot of haunted parts of West Point since it's so old and tons of legends or ghost stories told by the cadets from over the years. It was during the summer, and the place was basically empty. He was on night duty for one of the oldest barracks on the campus. All night long, he kept hearing someone walking around on one of the floors above him, and when he would go up and check it out, this one room would have a light turned on. He kept turning off the light, locking the door, and then would go back down to his desk on the main floor. He said at first he thought someone was just messing with him, but then it started getting really annoying. So around 2 a.m., he gets a phone call from someone, a brigade commander or something. This guy starts screaming at him on the phone, Cadet, I'm looking at Scott Barracks, not sure if it was actually Scott, but for the story's sake, 
It's Scott Barracks right now, and I see a light on the third floor. Go take care of that light. So my fiancé, fed up at this point, goes upstairs again, unlocks the room door, and turns off the light again. An hour later, he gets another call. Cadet, this is Lieutenant Colonel Mayer, and I'm looking at Scott Barracks, and that light on the third floor is still on. I want you to go turn it off, and then meet me at Thayer Statue to explain why you can't follow basic orders. Thayer Statue was a common meeting point for cadets, so after going up to the third floor one again, my fiancé makes his way to the statue to get chewed out by this lieutenant colonel and explain that the light kept going on even after he turned it off. At this point he was super creeped out, and it was really late, like 3 a.m., so he made one of his friends come with him, so they that they could both explain to this brigade commander what was going on. They get to the statue and wait. No one comes. They keep waiting because the last thing they want is to get in trouble for not waiting for a lieutenant colonel on top of the light. After an hour, no one came. They decide to leave. The next morning, he decided to tell his company commander what happened with the light and mentioned that Lieutenant Colonel Mayer had called them and then never showed up to Thayer statue to talk. The company commander turned pale, looked at my fiancé, and asked him if he was sure it was Lieutenant Colonel Mayer who had called. My fiancé was like, yeah, I'm sure he yelled at me twice and made me walk to meet him at 3 a.m. about it. Apparently, a decade earlier, a Lieutenant Colonel Mayer had committed S in those barracks in that room on the third floor. So my fiancé swears up and down that his ghost had called him that night and had kept turning on the lights in that room. I grew up in Alaska, just on the bubble of civilization, sort of. Up there, even in the big cities, you'll get bears and moose and such. I was walking home from the bus stop. Our driveway was about a half mile long through woods. I heard noise to my right and stopped, hoping it was anything other than the one animal that scares me. And then it stepped out of the trees. I froze. My blood felt cold and stopped in my veins. A moose, full-grown female, was standing maybe 20 feet from me in the middle of the road. It stopped and turned to look at me. I was scared with no backup plan. What can a 12 or so year old do against a full-grown moose? Then, it happened. I heard another noise. Behind me. I truly thought I was dead. I thought my life is now over. I'm about to be between a mama and a baby moose, and I'm going to die. I remember feeling frozen and not at all tranquil and at peace. I couldn't even scream. From the edge of my eyesight, I saw the second moose emerge from the thick stand of alder trees and disappear behind me. I could hear the steps on the soft dirt. My eyes locked onto the moose in front of me, trying to will it to stay calm. I stopped breathing and then felt it. A gentle whoosh of warm air down the back of my neck followed by the unmistakable sound of a forced inhale. The moose behind me was sniffing my head. I could feel the breath, hear the nostrils flare. Some neighbor had dogs off through the woods a ways, and they must have gotten out of their yard. They started barking inside the trees and startled both moose that turned and ran back the way they came, crashing into the small trees and leaving. To this day, the only animal I'm afraid of is moose. I've been fishing with brown bears, had black bears say hi as they walked by my camp. 
Mountain lions stalk us and then leave. Doesn't rattle me until I see a cow moose alone, and then I just hope to whatever is higher than me that I'm not between her and her cub. Well, there was an incident which taught me to regularly make what is called a J-turn to watch Borchek by back trail. I was scouting a distant group of hills along an inaccessible river no docks for miles. There were past rumors of mountain lions being back in there, though all the eastern breeds are supposedly not existence anymore. There had been a light snow before dawn, but it didn't hinder me from walking way back and cresting the highest hilltop where I could see the big bend of the river. For whatever reason, I decided to circle the tippy top of this hill before going back down, where I could then pick up my old trail where I walked inwards. When I completed my circling, I came back down but immediately but stopped dead. There were a second set of prints right next to my steps. Big paw prints. As I sat watching that river, there was a F-King big cat sitting somewhere watching me. Now heading back down, I had lost the high ground, and the pursuit position was now in his favor. I made J-turns every 300 yards on the way back. I make J-turns on the way in and out of every area I hunt if it is in a remote location. And yes, I've seen dogs, deer, and even men following my paths before. My father, when he was in his late teens, used to hunt deer in New Zealand. This would have been the late 60s, early 70s. He was out with some friends hunting in thick bush at night, using a spotlight connected to a battery that they would carry in a backpack. My father saw the shine of deer eyes in the dark, a very easy shot, a direct and clean shot. On approaching the kill, a few things stood out to him as slightly unusual. Firstly was the horse he had killed. Secondly were the two terrified Maori guys who leapt from their tent next to the dead horse, understandably scared for their lives. I think he had to pay them enough to buy a couple of horses to clear the matter up. Also, he only ever hunted during daylight after that. I grew up in the Arctic. And the town I lived in, as long as it was a clear night, it was an extremely normal occurrence to see all sorts of strange lights move across the sky. Keep in mind the winter is long in the Arctic, which means longer amounts of time being spent under the stars. It's quite beautiful as long as you don't mind the cold so much. Sometimes I would drive a snowmobile a few kilometers out of town, shut it down, and just lay down on the snow looking up at the majesty of it all. The only thing disturbing the silence being the occasional breeze. The northern lights are also a common occurrence. Doesn't happen every day, but often enough that they start getting ignored after a while, as long as they aren't too spectacular anyway. On one particular night, without asking my parents it was their snowmobile, I decided to go on one of my midnight drives out of town. I drove a few kilometers over the hills to find a spot devoid of light pollution from town, shut off the machine, and settled into a good spot to look up and be introspective. It wasn't all that interesting a scene. A few satellites passing here and there, some relatively boring activity affecting the magnetic field, etc. And then I started noticing a clicking noise. At first I thought it was the sound of the snow machine cooling down, as engine expands and contracts a lot in the cold. 
but the source of the sound definitely wasn't coming from that direction. My next thought was there must be an animal nearby in which case I need to get out of there fast. You don't really want to mess with a wild animal. But the clicking is far too regular for an animal to produce it. It was fairly mechanical sounding. And again, the source of the sound isn't coming from anywhere around me laterally. It was coming from up. So naturally, I look up determined to ascertain the origin of this strange noise. I see what I always see. Stars, northern lights, a lazy satellite crossing the sky. All normal stuff. But before I dismiss it altogether and begin heading home, I notice something strange in the aurora borealis. There were three rather strong points of light. I ignored them at first thinking they were oddly symmetrical stars, but this proved false. They were definitely getting brighter. I kept staring in morbid fascination as they grew stronger and stronger, yet still only remaining single points in the sky. All the while the clicking noise is getting louder and louder and more pronounced, almost like someone started with tapping a pen on a desk to clacking billard balls together inside my head. Then it stops. The lights are gone, the clicking is not heard, and aside from being a little stiff, cold, and rather petrified, I'm fine. So I jump back on the snowmobile thinking maybe I'm going crazy. The machine takes a little longer than usual to start up, and I'm beginning to worry, but soon it's running and I'm heading back to town. As I'm driving back several plausible scenarios as to what occurred are running through my head. I'm thinking it could have been a helicopter from the mine, or some strange northern lights behavior, etc. Probably not that big a deal. I pull up to my house. Lights are all dark. Strange. It wasn't that late when I left. Open outer door as quietly as possible. Remove winter gear. Enter inner door. House is quiet. Really quiet. My parents are teachers and are usually up late marking or watching TV. All I'm thinking is I have to get to bed without anyone noticing. Proves to be easy as I'm soon under my covers. I go to set my alarm for the next day. All of the sudden everything makes sense. Engine hard to start, stiff, rather chilly. Nobody up when I was gone what felt like relatively short period of time. It was almost 11 p.m. when I left, and now it was creeping up on 6 a.m. I stood, staring at clicking lights for almost seven hours. I never ended up sleeping that night, and I don't go on late-night snow machine rides anymore. Our team of Navy SEALs was on a covert operation near Japan, searching for vital intelligence concerning China's possible invasion of Taiwan. I led the team, with Joe as my second-in-command, a seasoned warrior with a wealth of experience. Little did we know that this seemingly routine operation would lead us to the edge of our sanity. Joe, ever curious and adventurous, discovered a hidden underwater cave system during one of our reconnaissance missions. Intrigued by the mystery that lay within, he decided to gather a small group of five men, including myself, to investigate further. We donned our diving gear and descended into the depths, unaware of the horrors that awaited us. As we explored the labyrinthine cave system, our excitement turned to unease. The oppressive silence weighed heavily upon us, and an inexplicable sense of foreboding crept into our hearts. It was then that we unknowingly disturbed a nest of aquatic cryptids that had been lurking in the shadows, their existence unknown to the world above.
The first sign of danger came with a sudden surge of movement in the water, accompanied by an eerie silence that seemed to suffocate the very air we breathed. Our senses heightened. We realized we were being hunted. Vicious creatures, born of nightmares and hidden from human eyes, closed in on us with savage intent. A battle for survival ensued as we fought tooth and nail against the relentless onslaught of these aquatic horrors. Our training and instincts kicked in, but the cryptids were unlike anything we had ever encountered. Their strength, speed, and ferocity were otherworldly, pushing us to the brink of our physical and mental limits. One by one, my comrades fell to the cryptids' relentless assault, leaving only Joe and me to face the horrors that dwelled within the abyss. We fought with everything we had, employing every ounce of skill and determination to escape their clutches. But it was Joe, with his unwavering resolve and indomitable spirit, who found a way to lead us out of the abyss and back to the surface. After barely surviving the ordeal, Joe made a fateful decision. He chose to keep the existence of the cryptids a secret forever buried within the depths of the Pacific. He understood the consequences of revealing such a horrifying truth to the world, knowing that panic and chaos would ensue. And so, we returned to our lives, carrying the weight of the horrors we had witnessed deep within our souls. We never spoke of the cryptids again, silently accepting the burden of our experiences and the sacrifices made by our fallen comrades. It was a testament to our unwavering loyalty and dedication to protecting our nation, even when the threats we faced lurked in the shadows, forever hidden from the world's gaze. Story from my dad. Back in 1989, my dad was hunting out in New Kent County, Virginia. He feels uneasy throughout the morning, and then he gets really spooked to the point where he decides to leave. Nothing weird is happening, and he's a lifelong hunter who wouldn't normally leave the woods for a bad feeling. Can vouch, he's very practical. As he's driving home, he sees a bunch of cop cars at the rest stop near his hunt club. Later that evening, he finds out that the cops had found the bodies of victims of the Colonial Parkway killer near the rest stop in a spot fairly close to his tree stand. Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer as a true crime buff, when my dad told me this story last year, I lost my dang mind. In late fall of 2018, I was driving back home from work on a Saturday afternoon on I-271 South near Mayfield, Ohio. The weather was overcast and light rain was coming down and slowed down traffic due to rain. It wasn't very windy, but the wind blew the rain to the southeast. Out of my periphery, I noticed to my right what resembled a large grouping of dark gray balloons floating silently from one side of the freeway to the other, above the tops of the cars on the same freeway. Upon closer inspection, I noticed these orbs hanging or grouping together in what resembled a Deanna strand model. Some were attached to others, while the remainder were free-floating clinging together as they floated silently across and into obscurity. This was my third experience witnessing something anomalous, and I reported it months ago to author Preston Dennett. I've included the artistic recreation of my sighting 